Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Today marks the first show in our series of discussions from the 25th African Union Summit held in Johannesburg, South Africa, where heads of state and government of the 54 member states of the African Union congregated. This year's summit was held under the theme Women's Empowerment and Development Towards Agenda 2063, which is a 50-year framework that sets Africa on the path to achieving integration, prosperity and peace. The Assembly adopted a declaration on 2015, Year of Women's Empowerment and Development, which includes commitments to improve women's contribution and benefits from formal agriculture and agribusiness value chains, to enhance women's access to health, to push forward women's economic empowerment, to enhance the agenda on women's peace and security, to improve women's participation and governance, and to increase women and girls' access to education, science and technology, Today, we're speaking to Dr. Nkosizana Dlamini-Zuma, chairperson of the African Union and first woman to lead the organization. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. In terms of elements that you wanted to achieve, your specific agenda for the summit, how do you think that your priorities have been met and fulfilled? Well, I'm very pleased with the outcomes of the summit. Um, One, we wanted the... 10-year plan of Agenda 2063 to be approved because contrary to many people's belief that this is an agenda about 2063, but it's an agenda about now, and that's why we were launching the 10-year plan for implementation. So that was accepted, which I'm very excited about. And secondly, it was accepted that countries will align their plans with this plan. And of course, all the organs of the African Union, including the Commission, will also have to align its strategic plan with this plan. The second thing that I'm excited about is that, as you know, last year was the year of agriculture. And before then, we, we had been consulting women about Agenda 2063. And one of the things that come, came out very clearly from the women was that they want, to, they want the whole to be taken to the museum uh, because of all the reasons that you can think of. It's, they can't dig deep with that, that hole. So it means even the plants they, they, they plant can't have deep roots. But secondly, it, it's just time-consuming to use that hoe to, to plow. Thirdly, it's just a problem to their health because it breaks their back. But also, if you look at it closely, it just symbolizes poverty. It symbolizes indignity, because if you have to work like that, stoop like that, and also it just gives a sense of somebody who has kind of submitted to, to this indignity. So 
when they said they don't want it, we agreed with them and we actually wondered how we've tolerated it for so long. So we decided that we must then do research, find out what can replace the the hole. Um, and we did our research and we found that, yes, there are what is called tillers, which are small enough, not as expensive as tractors, but which can be used by smallholder um, farmers, particularly women. But we also think that when there is a, a technology that is a bit attractive, it will also attract younger people. And you might find that when a, a household is a tiller, maybe it won't even be the women now who tills. Maybe the young children may see this and want to use it themselves and help the mother or the granny. So we then thought, well, this being the year of women, last year having been the year of agriculture, we must then, and this year we are, we, we, we are endorsing the implementation plan, why not launch a campaign, which we say is a 10-year campaign, but we hope to achieve what we want to achieve in less than 10 years, if possible, it's a 10-year campaign to literally get tillers to all the women who work in, in agriculture. And we thought the best place to launch it is, is at the summit because we need governments to come on board. We need the private sector to come on board. They could even do this as part of their social responsibility. We need... Uh, partners and NGOs to come on board. So we thought that we should try and launch it here. But then we had to find the tillers, we had to bring them here, and we decided that we're going to give one to every country so that there's no excuse. And will that be from a point of symbolization as they come out of the conference that going home, they've each got a tiller? This is a constant reminder of how we're moving forwards to take the agenda of women and agribusiness? Yes, it's both that, but also a challenge to say, we are giving the you this one tiller, you need to get more. Besides the symbolic part of it, it's actually part of launching the campaign and saying, here you are. Already I was hearing some of the people saying, oh yes, it's such a good idea. The chair of the union said, oh, this is a revolution. Uh, so obviously it, it's both a challenge to them and to all of us because all of us can really buy a tiller for a woman somewhere. And so, but symbolically also, the Year of Women were launching Agenda 2063, were launching this campaign, and each one must go home with this tiller replacing the hoe so that they know that they have to replace the hoe. And we will be tracking to see how the campaign is going. Uh, so um, that's the second major um, objective that I wanted to achieve here. The third one, we wanted, we have just launched um, the, AU the AU Foundation. So we wanted to popularize the AU Foundation so 
we had a golf day popularizing it. We had a dinner, a gala dinner popularizing it. So at least now uh, the rest of the continent knows that there is an AU foundation and we will be following up to see that every country does something to popularize and to raise funds for the foundation. And of course the other area that we wanted to highlight was being 20 years after Beijing and being the year of women. And actually this is a women's decade and 2015 is halfway through the women's decade because it was from 2010 to 2020. We thought, and it's the, long, it's the start of the 10-year plan, so we thought this is a good time to look at gender and then look at how women are doing and have a scorecard that looks at different areas. We were not exhaustive. We started with a few areas. Next year we'll bring it again, but bringing different um, issues uh, until we've covered almost everything. And then we, we will know that we have a baseline of where things are. And then we can check where are we after five years? Are we going back? Are we going forward? Are we standing still? And so this is um, a w another area that is, a, is what we achieved. And uh, already when we were doing the scorecard, you could see that people were saying, oh, I didn't know we were doing so badly in this one. Oh, yeah, oh, here, yeah, we're almost there. It means we just need to push a bit. So it, it actually motivated people to want to do more. And that's why we didn't want to just say we'll only recognize those who are top. But we, we felt we wanted to recognize all those who, where the Beijing uh, target was 30%, all those who have matched the 30%. But of course, on the continent, our target is 50-50. So at least those who have crossed the 30%, must know that they, they must cross the 50. So, but we acknowledge those who have crossed the 50 as well, so that people know that 30 is not where you end, it's, the, it's where you start, but you are moving towards 50%. So this also was a, 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 an idea that people seem to like quite a lot. And then the last thing, well, of course, the debate on the theme itself was, was, was good. But the last thing that I also want to um, acknowledge that we achieved, uh, it's not really linked necessarily to women, but it's linked to the way we do our work. We agreed on how to streamline uh, our work and also particularly the work of the summits so that we can give time to the heads of state to, to really have more time on their own to discuss uh, strategic issues and important issues for integration, on peace, on financial issues. And of course the last one was the budget. Our budget was passed, but also 
we want to move more and more towards being self-reliant in terms of our budget. Uh, so next year will be the start. We are phasing that in over five years. But next year will be the start where we will start increasing. Because at the moment, if we look at our programs, more than 95% comes from donors. And that can't be sustainable. No. That can't be healthy. Because we end up not doing what we want to do, but end up what we, we've got money for. And that's two different things. And so now, it, it was agreed in January that we must aim at at least funding 75% of our programs. And therefore, but, and then funding 25% of peace and security and 100% of the operational budget. So we are starting next year, but we are starting slowly so that it's not too big a shock. But we are also encouraging countries to look at alternate sources, not only at the fiscals, but at other things that maybe they could uh, levy or get money from. So I'm very happy with that the fact that it was agreed that we start next year and the budget reflects that as well. One of the points that I found very interesting was when you mentioned that there's a scorecard now in place that's monitoring, that's tracking, that's looking at making sure that countries have surpassed that 30% threshold. In South Africa, as I'm sure you're aware, we have the Women Empowerment and Gender Equality Bill, which is undergoing a series of, of reviews before finalization. And ultimately, the purpose of the goal is about achieving 50-50 across the board. What is your perspective of legislation and quotas to help women get to that 50-50? Yes, I think legislation is very important. Um, and quotas are important, especially at the beginning. Because what I've found is that it's not that women are not there. Women are there. But there's nothing to focus the mind to look for them. Because traditionally, when you want to send people to parliament, you look at men. If you want to appoint ministers, as presidents do, they look at men. If you want to appoint judges, they look at men. If you want to appoint uh, vice chancellors, they look at men. And so it goes. DGs in the civil servant, they look at men. But once you have quotas, then you are forced to focus and find women. But also, when you have got quotas, it means if you have to look at 50-50 enrollment at all levels of education, then it means your education policy has to be geared towards that. If you have a quota that says you must have 50-50 in science and technology, then it means your policies and your f on your finances, your budget will have to support that. So it, they, they are very important. And especially when you are beginning to work towards that. At a point in time when you've reached it, when it's, it, it's become natural to just look at the best person and not care about the gender, uh, about 
whether it's the sex, whether they are men or women, then maybe then you won't need quotas. But at the moment, I think we do need quotas and legislation. We'll be right back after this. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today we're speaking to Dr. Nkosasana Dlamini-Zuma, chairperson of the African Union and the first woman to lead the organization. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. One of the points that you remarked on just a few moments ago was in terms of education, and I consider education to be a vital tool in terms of empowering women in particular. And I know that it's had profound effects on the well-being of women in terms of how she manages uh, fertility rates, how she looks after her children, how her health has improved, how the health of her family has improved. And also, obviously, there's the financial element because a more educated woman is is more able to have a, a more resourceful position. And I know, for instance, UNESCO has said that an additional year of schooling yields a 10% increase in earnings. In your opinion, do you think that we're doing enough to ensure that knowledge like this is is preached in every forum possible and that our mothers are passing the right information on to their daughters, especially in underprivileged communities? Well, I think we need to do more. I think we need to do more because if we are talking about eradicating poverty, education is the most important tool we have. One of the ministers, for instance, when we were discussing this matter, was saying that if you deprive a child education, you deprive them a life. Because what life is there without education? So it's very important for our mothers, our parents, to understand that education is not just about knowledge, but it's the tool you need to get a decent job or to create jobs. It's a tool we need to develop our communities, our countries. And also it's a tool we need to raise our children better and our families to feed them better. And really education is an equalizer. And it's the most important thing the equalizer in terms of class, is the equalizer in terms of uh, sexism. Uh, It's an equalizer in everything. Now turning towards more of yourself, you are currently the African Union Commission chairperson. In terms of female leadership, I believe that it's fundamental in terms of helping develop women, capacitating them further. In your perspective, how do you see female leadership in the continent? Well, I think Africa, historically, has had um, very strong female um, involvement in communities, in societies, as one person said, they are the they are the 
people who work the land, they are the people who curate culture and so on. So women have been very central and they've played a very critical role in our societies. But that has, over the years, around slavery, around colonization, around that has been kind of diluted. And um, capitalism and everything has come. Uh, and instead of reinforcing the women leadership, it has kind of reinforced patriarchy. And so <clears throat> now, I think with with their struggles, also women were very involved in our struggles. But you find that in some countries, they were involved in the struggle. When the struggle is over, patriarchy takes over and they are pushed to the margins of society. But I think <coughs> women are very resili resilient because they are the ones in many of our families who make sure there's food on the table, who tender to the sick, they become the social security, they become everything. So I think that they also bring just a different perspective. As you know, when a woman works and ends, research shows us that they spend 90% of their income on their family as opposed to 30% that men spend on the family. That is a huge difference. Yeah. So that's why they say you educate a woman, you educate a nation, you educate a man, you educate an individual. Because indeed, it's a huge difference. Um, in fact, when, there was, when that figure was being quoted by the panelist, I turned to the president who was sitting on the same row as me and said, what do you do with your money? <laughs> Did anyone respond? <laughs> they said, no, no, not with us. We spend more. <laughs> but it's incredible. But it just shows that women must be given leadership position because they'll bring that perspective everywhere. They'll bring that into government. They'll be more people-centered. They'll think more about the people. If they, even if they are in business, they will not just be one-track-minded about profit, but they will be saying, well, yes, we have to build this road and this bridge, but they will be thinking it's actually going to be used by human beings. That's why we're building it. It's not the money only that we're going to get, but it's what it's going to do to improve our society, our communities. So I think women leadership is very important um, to bring all those perspectives, to multitask, to do. And, and, and it's important that you actually inspire the people you work with. I've always been very proud of being an African in terms of what women have achieved from a parliamentary perspective. So, for instance, from a South African point of view, South Africa is ranked seventh in the world according to Interparliamentary Union. Rwanda leads the world in terms of female representation. Senegal is sixth in the world. But yet, 
so-called first world countries. The USA ranks 72nd. The UK ranks 58th. France is at 44th position. It makes me wonder how these first world countries could be in the state in terms of low female representation. Given your experience within the parliamentary space, political space, what's your opinion on this? Well, I think <coughs> I think African women, because they are so resilient, because they are so they have to do so much, they are also organized. And they've understood that there is power in numbers. And also they work within political parties. They also know that you need uh, partnerships. You need to partner with those progressive men who will support you as women to, to, to get to those places. But also what helps a lot is that once women are there, even when people were doubting, they work very hard and they show that it's, there's value for money in having women in parliament in those positions. And so the next time it would be much easier. I remember when we first went to parliament, a lot of people were commenting, oh, what do these women know about parliament? But the same question you could have asked of men because the black people were going to parliament for the first time, whether they were men or women. But the stereotype was, oh, these women, what will they know? But once the women were there, now that question doesn't arise anymore. And so, but also, you know, in 1906, Pixley Ka Seme, who was a student at Columbia University in the U.S., won a medal for an essay that he wrote about Africa rising, the regeneration of Africa. Um, I will give you a copy of that article. Thank you. said something very interesting amongst many interesting things he said. He said that Africa will, um, will give birth to a unique civilization. And I think part of that uniqueness is the involvement of women. And I think as we send our kids to school, we will see more women in all areas of human endeavor. And that will set us apart, um, amongst other things, that will set us apart from the rest of the world because we are putting a lot of emphasis on the women in all areas of human endeavor, not just in one. We're doing much better in parliament, but... As our economies grow, we are, going, we are going to do better also in the economy, <clears throat> and we are going to do better in, in every area. We'll take a short break. Hi, my name is Yvonne Chakataka, and I'm UNICEF and Rollback Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in the struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, a program against social ills such as racism, socio-economic class division and gender-based violence. 
Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amalia Malka every week on this day at this time. Today we're speaking to Dr. Nkosisana Dlamini-Zuma, chairperson of the African Union and the first woman to lead the organization. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. You have achieved a tremendous amount in your life so far, and I'm sure that there's many more achievements to come. But can you share with us some of the factors that have contributed to your success? It's a question that I ask all of our guests. Some people talk about their perseverance. Others talk about their mothers. Others speak about discipline. So if you could please share with us some of the factors that have contributed to your success. I think it's many factors and many people uh, who have contributed to what I am and what I've been able to achieve. I think it starts from the family. It starts from my grandparents, my parents, but not only the nuclear, the nucleus, my extended family, my aunts, my cousins, my uncles, a lot of them have played a role in my life in one way or another. And even the communities where I grew up, because in our African communities, you are not only raised by your parents, you are raised by the community as well. I think the teachers that have taught me, some of them have been very inspiring and have been inspired. And so I wouldn't say for me there's just one factor, there are many and many people. And of course, um, working hard as well. Uh, I've always believed that you need to be of average intelligence course, if you are a genius, you are lucky. But if, if you have average intelligence and you work hard, that will, will get you any, any, everywhere. But also, I think for me, it's the fact that somehow I never thought of myself as inferior to anyone. Um, I just always thought, well, I'm like any everybody else. Uh, boys at school, I never thought they are more intelligent than me or better in any way. And even as we were brought up at home, there wasn't a very strict differentiation between what boys do and what girls do. Um, so I think, and also I must also give credit to the organizations I've belonged to, because there's a lot that I've learned as a member of the African National Congress, not only just the politics, the strategy, the tactics, but also just the discipline <coughs> of being in an organization, and also the, the organizing skills and the teamwork, because you can't be in the ANC and just want to work alone. So there are, there are lots of things that um, have really contributed. Uh, leaders that I've looked up to, um, 
things I've read, um, and maybe also good luck. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, th I think it's really a combination of many things. I don't think there's one thing that I can take out. But also, um, once you are given a task, to just tell yourself, I have to do my best. And to go to bed every night and say, did I do my best today? Because you, you can't cheat yourself. Your little voice inside will tell you whether you did your best or didn't. And you tell yourself, okay, I did my best, I must do the same tomorrow, or even do better. Or today I didn't really do my best. Tomorrow I must try and do my best. So those are the kind of things that I think have brought me to where I am. So it's many people, many, many things. Now, in closing our discussion, could you please share a few words of inspiration or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to our young ladies on the continent? Well, to young people and to many people, I think the important thing is to have dreams, to say, this is what I want to achieve. Even if it seems impossible, if you really put your mind to it, the universe will, will deliver it for you. You put your mind to it, you work f towards it, and sometimes people will say, oh no, that's too ambitious, that's too difficult. But if you really want it, put your mind to it, it will, it will happen. And for younger people really, now the horizons are so broad, the limit, the sky is the limit now, unlike when some of us were growing up, even though our situation was better than our parents' situation. But the younger generation has got a lot more than we had, and they mustn't take it for granted. They must make sure they defend those gains, whether it's in democracy, whether it's in education, in health, but they must just want to achieve much more than we have achieved. Because our parents made sure that today was better than yesterday, we have tried to make tomorrow for our kids better than today. They must do the same. Thank you so much. It's been a privilege to have you on our show today, especially as we celebrate 2015, the year of women's empowerment and development towards Africa's agenda. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we have been talking to Dr. Nkosa Salat Lamini Zuma, Chairperson of the African Union. Tune into the show next week as we continue our series of discussions from the 25th African Union Summit when we talk to Zeneb Hawa Bangura, who is the Special Representative of the United Nations Secretary General on Sexual Violence in Conflict.